Today's Tuesday, August 13th, 2019, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. The Ravens shut out the Jags in an impressive first preseason game. The Orioles continue to make headlines, some good, some very bad. The Terps preparing to kick off one of the nation's toughest schedules. And Cowboys, Helmets, and Jackass Police Commissioners in this week's Good, Bad, and Ugly. Stay tuned. Time, so let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. When excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're gonna listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS. That one's for you, Scott. hey <laughs> I was going to do it, but you beat me to it. Brian did a hell of a job with it. What's up, BSers? Fred Brian in studio today with Scott joining us via Cincinnati through Skype. The world of technology. Yeah, technology right. is a good thing. Thank God for it. Uh, was not a smooth transition getting all this together. But hey, here we are, all three of us in one area, sort of. One big happy family. That's right. <laughs> We got a lot to cover on the show. Uh, the Ravens had an impressive win against the Jaguars. They sh- ended up shutting them out. I don't care whether it's preseason or not. A shutout is pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive overall. I mean, it was just it, it was an A game all around for the Ravens. I mean, offense, defense, special teams. It was amazing to see Could how agree well more, they man. played. The Orioles, Scott, continue to make headlines, not in a very good way. Well, I guess there's been a couple of highlight moments in what's been a, a very crappy couple of weeks for the, for the Birds. Yeah, it hasn't been the greatest, the greatest week. There's been history made yet again, and this time I would say we're on the bad side of it, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) And the Terps getting ready to kick off one of the nation's toughest schedules as they released uh, the the rankings for schedules in this uh, for the for the NCAA football season, and the Terps are up there with one of the toughest. So we're going to get into that a little bit. And we're talking Cowboys, Helmets, and Jackass Police Commissioners <laughs> in this week's Good, Bad, and Ugly. That sounds like a jackass sketch, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty fun. Uh, before we Fred, get into you sound like you sound like you're really ready for whatever's involving a police commissioner. Oh, I'm man, I, I can't wait. I, I've got some personal feelings with that, and uh, honestly don't care what anybody else thinks. This is all about me now. <laughs> <laughs> It wouldn't be Fred. It wouldn't be Fred. (laughs) Before we do too much, we want to remind you guys, if you're in the market to buy or sell a home and you want someone to go to bat for you, call our guy John Sheffenacher over at Redfin. He's a Redfin agent now. John's been in the business for four years now and is dedicated to getting you the best deal possible. He's always available to take your call anytime, day or night. For you Oreo fans out there, you probably remember him as the guy with the button-down, the orange button-down, the black tie, and the backwards hat sitting behind the dugout at Camden Yards. Make sure you give our guy John a call today, 443-604-6298. And you guys have heard me talk about it week in, week out. I'm now doing this talk in Cincy. We are going national with this. <laughs> John Schaffenacher, if you're in the market to buy or sell a home and you are really looking for somebody that's going to take care of you, you got to give John a call today. He takes care of his clients not only during the process but after the process as well and really makes sure that you get everything that you're wanting, wanting and needing. And also with taking care of you afterwards, it's a customer service thing. You can't find very many agents that do this. Make sure you reach out to them as soon as you can. 
Can you hit him one more time with that phone number and that email for John? 443-604-6298 or send him an email at johnsheff at gmail.com. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-E-F-F-A at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell him the Birdland BS sent you. All right, fellas. So we're going to start off with some Ravens talk, as we mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show. An impressive win as the as the Ravens win their opening preseason game against the Jaguars, twenty nine and nothing. And as I said, shutout preseason, regular season playoffs. It's all impressive when you get to that level, in my opinion. I'm hyped right now. I mean, overall, the Ravens' offense looks stellar. I mean, they came out with authority. They Lamar wanted to prove a point. Hey, guys. Look how much I've progressed so far. It was great. I mean, right out of the gate, he threw, what, a 30-yard pass to uh, Chris Moore. Chris Moore. Yeah. I mean, it was an RPO play, granted, right. but he rolled out. It, he looked like a starting quarterback. He looked like he's got confidence. He's out there. He's got a great wide receiving core. He looks he looks really good right now. I'll, yeah, I'll give him that. and I think what was most impressive, at least to me, Scott, is that – we got to see what he could do throwing the football. Obviously, that was the big knock on Lamar going into this year was how much is he going to run versus how much he's going to throw. I don't know if he was given direction to not run very much, but he didn't do much running. He may have moved around a little bit in the pocket, which is good, extending you know his ability to kind of keep his eyes downfield. But uh, he was able to make some plays and threw the air for this change for this time. Yeah, no, it definitely looked, it looked really well. The ball coming out of his hand didn't – it's – Look, I, I am the big detractor from the beginning uh, about his ability to throw the ball and the questioning of it. And from the progression that I've seen when we went to training camp, what we saw, it, you know, it wasn't a full game. It was a little bit of the game. I'm not going to, you know, dig in it too hard. But from what I saw, I like what I see. There's still some, some work there, in my opinion. Slight work. But it's it's serviceable right now at the beginning of the season. And as we get closer, I think we'll see the progression. The progression that I've seen over the past several weeks, I'm really, really happy with. And so I think he has the ability to progress. I think what Greg Roman is doing with this offense and with him, it's going to work out. And I think to kind of to, to talk and, and hit off of what we've talked about last week, we talked, okay, what's going to happen? Are they going to run a lot? Or are they going to throw a lot? What's going to be the scenario? And the more I'm seeing it, I think you are going to see Lamar run a lot. I think this preseason is where they're going to use the throwing as practice, but it's also the bait and switch. It gets all these teams hooked on the idea of Lamar passing a lot more, and then you switch it on them in the middle of the game, in the middle of you know a quarter, whatever, in the middle of a drive even, and now all of a sudden you've got them on their heels. And once you get a team on their heels, we've seen it before with Lamar, he can really do some damage. Well, let's not kid ourselves. It was preseason week one. It was probably as vanilla as vanilla can get with this mm -hmm. offense. You know, they're not going to show their entire hand. They're just going to go out there and really just try to get through the fundamentals. Make sure that, you know, nobody's jumping off sides, that everybody understands the play calls, that their blocking schemes are done right. Like just some of the simple things. And again, you're not gonna you're not gonna expose too much of your playbook and too many of your ideas this early on in mm -hmm. preseason. Yeah, but you, you still got to the, – the main takeaway I, I take out of this preseason game, I understand that 30 of the Jacksonville Jaguars probably starting uh, players were on the bench. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like third string Agreed. that they were playing against. But still, you got to see some of the wide receivers. I mean, I know Hollywood was, was not playing, but Boykin, I mean, that guy showed up. I mean, he had a couple of drops. Don't get me wrong. 
But the touchdown pass that was in the end, so that got called back because of a holding penalty, that was a hell of a catch he made. Yeah. Along with the uh, – there, there was, I think, the one-day stretch for the first down. You saw how tough this kid can be when he's out there and, and getting the ball. And not only that, the yak yards. Right. You saw a lot of – and we're not used to seeing that here in Baltimore with our wide receivers. Usually it's throw the ball, they get tackled. Boyd and even uh, Sneed, they were out there getting the ball – and making yards after the catch, and that, yeah. was, that was nice to see. And, and to your point, you know, on that passing play uh, that Boykin caught the touchdown in the back of the end zone that was ended up being mm-hmm. called back uh, on a holding penalty, that was a throw by Trace McSorley, and we didn't know what to kind of expect from Trace. Scott and I had got a chance to go see him uh, at training camp, and honestly, I left there unimpressed. Didn't think he was ready to be an NFL quarterback. But I tell you what, Scott, I don't know what your opinion was in this game, but when the spotlight came on and the lights were on, he played pretty darn good. Well, I'm just going to say this. When did the majority of the points come across the board? Right. When Trace right. McSorley was under center. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show you, and, and yes, he was playing against you know third and fourth string guys and guys that are fighting for you know really a chance to play on this Jaguars team. But to me, when I looked at at what Trace McSorley was able to do as a whole, you know, going out there with, there were a few guys that are on the bubble of being first stringers uh, that I think they put out there just to see the chemistry and what he's able to do with them. But then even what he's able to do with some of these second string guys, I think it really, it really, really showed that he is able to progress. I, I had the same concerns that you did when we left training camp. So to see that progression in this game and in game format, when the pressure came on and it wasn't the greatest pressure in the world, let's be honest. But when the pressure's on, he was able to perform because we had to look at this. Somebody, somebody might say, well, you know, he wasn't going against first stringers. Correct. But he was going against guys that are on the Jaguars, you know, roster currently, or at least for, through training camp, that are fighting for a, a spot. These oh, yeah. are guys that want to make it. They're going to do anything and everything they can in their power to try and put Trace McSorley down, and they just couldn't do it. Agreed. Now, the, the one position battle that we thought might be, uh, you know, a position of strength and a position that we're going to see a lot of work from was a position that kind of left a little bit to be desired, and that was the running back position. Uh, you know, Gus Edwards started the game, couldn't really get any traction going, couldn't really find many holes. I will attribute that to some pretty bad offensive line play, especially on the interior. What did you see with that, Brian? I There wasn't, like you're saying, there wasn't a lot of holes for Gus to, to try to drive through. I mean, right. credit that to Jacksonville's defense, too. Right. Getting in the holes, stopping, stopping the gaps, and stopping Gus. Now... I'm looking forward to this team when when it's the real offensive line out there playing their hearts out because it's going to be interesting seeing Gus Edwards and Ingram in the backfield as a one-two punch. And I think it's going to be hard for a lot of teams to try to stop that combo. I really do. I I agree with you. And, and Scott, I I don't know what your take was on running backs, but I can tell you one big cog that wasn't on that offensive line that I think makes all the world a difference, and that's veteran Marshall Yonda. He wasn't out there for the game. Yeah, I mean, you get the the veterans, a lot of the veterans on defense uh, and offense as well, but not on the field. So it creates a little bit of a different feel than what you would naturally see in-game. I think it's smart uh, to not have Yadda as much as I honestly think Yadda probably wanted to be out there knowing his mentality. I think it it made sense to keep him off the field, uh, give him the rest so, you know, he, he... Definitely you don't want him re-injuring anything uh, and not being able to protect your quarterback for the season. Um, But not having this offensive line fully healthy um, would be a huge, 
you know, detriment to, to what they're trying to do. So I think it's smart. It made sense. Uh, but to kind of touch on the running back situation um, with Justice Hill, I feel, I've seen a lot. I don't know about you guys, but I've seen a lot this past week regarding Justice Hill. And many people calling it based on the performance that he had during that game with this, the speed he showed, the shiftiness that he showed. Some people are calling and saying, he should be a lock to make this team. I'm interested to see what you guys feel on this because I don't. I think we're too. We're already deep enough, you know, at the running back position, and I think yeah, you can add another guy like Justice Hill, but I just don't know where he fits into this offense and how they're structuring. If anything, if anything, I feel like he's trade bait. Nah, nah. Justice Hill being a, a draft pick this year. I don't see the Ravens giving up on him that early. There's no way. This kid just brings too much excitement to this offense. You know, they they obviously had a path to the draft this year, and that was through speed, right? And yeah. Justice Hill brings that dimension to a group of running backs that don't really have that. Now, I will say Ingram is kind of the more complete back of the group. You know, he obviously brings in the veteran presence. He does have some speed, but he also has that power. Justice Hill kind of gives us that almost kind of like Darren Sproles look. The the kind of guy that you want to get out in space, let him make some moves with his feet. And, man, if this guy gets beyond the line, man, he he could be a home run hitter. No problem. I'm I'm looking forward to it. But, yeah, like like you were saying – he, you, you also need, especially for this kind of running game that I think the Ravens want to implement this year. You kind of need to carry three running backs. So I oh, they're definitely I, I carrying three. I don't see, and I think Hill's going to make the team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he'll he'll get limited carries, especially with the two big guns, Gus and right. uh, Ingram up front. But I think once he gets the opportunities to get into the field and play, I think you're you're going to be wowed by the speed of this kid. I think the two running backs that are probably on the fringe, you might see one get a roll and one end up elsewhere, uh, would be between Kenneth Dixon and Delance Turner. We saw a little bit of both in this preseason game. We all kind of know what we're getting with Kenneth Dixon, and Kenneth Dixon shows flashes. The problem with him is he's just not reliable. The guy is constantly healthy. He can't stay healthy. He's constantly hurt. Um, And then, you know, he's also had some fumbling issues in the past that does not sit well with John Harbaugh. That's always been a point of emphasis for him. Um, So I could see him be on the outskirts looking in. Delance Turner came in last year as an undrafted free agent along with Gus Edwards, showed some promise before he eventually got hurt last year. So he looked okay. He, He made some big plays in this in this opening preseason game. But I think if you're really talking about a running back that might not make this roster, I think it's going to be between those two guys. Okay. Uh, So we talked a little bit about the offensive line. In this game, obviously, there was no Marshall Yonda. I think the other obvious problem here is going to be at left guard. And Jermaine Illuminor, for me, is not it. This guy, I I don't know if it's a... If it's a want to, if it's a desire thing, but I, I just don't see the effort. I don't see the passion from this guy. Uh, he, you know, for as big of a guy as he is, he gets pushed around a lot. He can't hold his blocks very well. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather see some of these younger guys like the the rookie Ben Powers um, or even, you know, at this point, uh, uh, Bradley Bozeman shifting over to guard or a James Hurst. These three guys in my opinion right now, are, are ahead of Illuminor. Uh, I just didn't like what I saw out of him. What did you take, Scott? Uh, I, I agree. I, I, you hit every point that I would have on it. Um, I think to, to your point with Hurst, Hurst looked a little slow, but with Illuminor getting beat a lot, it just 
that's not something you can have on this offensive line because if it's on the side that you you, you really need the protection for Lamar, it's just not going to happen. Agreed. I, I agree with you on that one. But here's my question is, do we have – that position covered is that is that a position of need to start looking outside well and, and to, to try to pick something up and, and that also that brings up a valid point and we're going to talk about that a little bit later matter of fact you know what we'll talk about it now so the ravens have 13 million dollars in cap space so they do have some money out there to be able to spend uh, or maybe make a trade to bring somebody in. Obviously, the rumor mill went crazy yesterday with a few few guys on Twitter spitting out some false information about the Ravens possibly trading Jimmy Smith uh, for a, uh, a Clowney, Jadavion Clowney from to the Texans. That's a little ridiculous to me. Yeah, Jadavion Clowney would fill a need, obviously, with pass rush for us. Um, I'm not ready to throw in the cards on Jimmy. Am I disappointed with Jimmy? Do I think he played like crap in that first preseason game? Absolutely. I, I And as much as I think we have some depth at cornerback, I don't know if I'm ready to give up on one of my starters for a guy that, you know, you bring in Jadavion Clowney, I just don't think he's light years ahead of a Matt Judon or even a Zadarius Smith that we had previously. And the money that he's going to demand I just don't see us spending that kind of money on an outside rusher. That's just my take on it. That's just my opinion. I think the bigger importance here is going to be offensive line. You have done everything that you can to build this offense around Lamar, and you're going to do everything that you can to build this offense around speed and running. you got to be solid up the middle on the offensive line because if not, all that's for nothing. And Lamar's going to be running around with like a with his head cut off back there because he's going to have a constant barrage of linebackers and in, uh, defensive backs up his grill the whole time, and he won't. And then he all he can do then is be a running quarterback, and that's what the Ravens are trying to get away from is make him a passer. Now I agree with you, Fred, that um, that Smith, I, you got to keep your cornerbacks right there. I understand the Ravens have a plethora of cornerbacks right now, and all a great talent. Uh, defensive backs too, or cornerbacks. But you want to keep them because if one goes down, guess what? You can plug Smith right in there and he can, you know, right. fill, fill a need. Now, I will say this. It is probably Smith's last year with the team. And if you can get the right value for Smith, I'm not completely opposed to it. I just don't think a, J- a Jimmy Smith for Jadavion Clowney move would be the right move. Scott, what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I... I, I... <laughs> I'm torn on it, honestly, because, you know, I'm looking in the, the Facebook chat and Sonny actually brings up a, a really good point that power, Ben Powers look, look good. He did. You know, and so to have a guy like that on there that you can kind of be depend on, he's a little mobile. Yes, you can look at him a little bit more long term. Uh, you know, Jimmy Smith got what, one year left on his contract, right? Right, right. So is Clowney on it? Do we know is Clowney on his last year of his contract as well? Yes. Would it be a one for one? Exactly. So it, it, to me, I don't know that it's there. I think that that money that you that you have tied up in Jimmy Smith, I think you can honestly go and get a pass rusher. I don't know who it is to be honest, but I just I think while we have the depth at cornerback, to your point, Fred, I just don't think it makes sense to get rid of Jimmy Smith. He's been too valuable in the past in big situations, and that's where I'm going to depend on him. I'm not going to depend on him to be in every, you know, an every down CB each each week. Um, I think we have a slight rotation there, but I 
I just can't see them doing a one for one there uh, with yeah. Clowney. I'm right there with you. I I don't either. And I th- and you know Jimmy Smith. A lot of people want to give him crap. He had, he had a rough start to last year, and there's no debating that he did. He played like crap the first four games, but the last four games of the year, he was one of the better cornerbacks in the entire league. So the the ability is still there. I often question with Jimmy is is his want to the same type of thing like this guy. You know he's been through it. He's a veteran. You know. I don't know how much emphasis and how hard he's really playing in a preseason game. You still don't like to see him get beat the way he was getting beat out there. Uh, but I still have more faith that that Jimmy is going to be a solid corner for us. I do think that this is the year, and it, it, I mean, for me it happened last year, but I think for the majority of everybody, I think this will be the year that Marlon Humphrey cements himself as this team's number one cornerback and one of the top in the AFC. Oh, I, I well, see. Not the- well, go ahead, Scott. No, I was just going to say, just not to mention, just kind of add on there for a quick second, not to mention the the tutelage that Jimmy Smith provides, you know, while he's had struggles of staying on the field, uh, it's one of those things that he does provide tutelage because when he is on the field, he does do well most of the time. So to have a guy like that, that you can have kind of tutoring Marlon Humphrey and here's what you need to do. Here's who you got. Here's who you have to watch out for. Not just, you know, what to do, but here's the guys that you got to be a little tighter on. Here's the guys. This guy's going to talk a lot of, a lot of crap to you. You got to just let it go. Let it brush off your shoulder. Show them what you can do. That type of stuff. That's, to me, that's always invaluable in any sport. Um, you know, I know some other people might not agree with that, but the, the guy is, has a pretty good football knowledge, and that's just invaluable at the quarterback position. So in this game on defense, I don't know if you guys watched the game, if you physically saw it, or if you guys just watched the highlights of it, but I was there for it, and I'm in the upper deck, and I'm pretty sure I was bruised from the hit that Kenny Young <laughs> laid on that quarterback that was brutal that was I mean that was truck stick Madden type of like hit completely I mean untouched that was NFL blitz type hit yeah man man. it was it was insane the dude's helmet popped off there was at least I think my buddy Ryan went with us to the game there were at least two or three times where helmets were coming off in this game guys were playing possessed they they were playing angry I mean yeah I mean you're right but that hit I'm looking around like there's no flags, right? This is a legal hit. <laughs> because, I said the same thing. And I said that's the all same I'm thinking. Thing. And then yep. when they showed the instant replay, it was a perfect hit. He didn't lean with his helmet. He came in, wrapped right. him up, and just knocked just knocked him he, into the next day. He pleaded this kid, man. <laughs> For it sure. It was unbelievable. I, me and my wife went, ooh, I don't know if that I don't know. I can't remember the quarterback's name. I, I, don't, I don't know if he's going to be getting up after that one. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for the, he drove him to the ground call. There you go. Right. Yep. It, that's that's originally my first gut instinct. As soon as I saw that play, I'm like, all right, I wouldn't even worry about the helmet, the helmet, because I saw him go in with with the shoulder, perfect hit. But it just he just knocked him solid, and he immediately rolled as soon as he hit had to hit. To, to your point, Brian, it was a perfect hit. That was a textbook definition. I heard it on uh, I think it was uh, Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. They were talking about that hit, and they were like, it was a solid hit per the NFL, NFL guidelines of how they want these guys to hit, it was to the T, and it still looked nasty. It really did. And, and I think one of the big points of emphasis going into this game for me, one is I wanted to see what the offensive line looked like, and we talked about that. The other thing that I really wanted to see in this game was I wanted to see what this pass rush was going to look like. And albeit there weren't a whole lot of sacks in this game, there was continual pressure from the Ravens. So to me – 
that was encouraging. And it started really, you know, looking at this pass rush group, it started in the very beginning before kickoff. You had Pernell McPhee, former Raven, who is now re-signed with the team, kind of taking over that leadership role in the uh, in the huddle prior to the game, getting the team it's amped like up. It's like he never left. Right. No, I mean, right. we were even talking about this. Ryan and I were talking about this prior to the game. We're like, who is going to be the voice for this team? You know, Earl Thomas is obviously the big veteran that they brought in, but he's learning a new locker room. He's, you know, building friendships, building relationships, all that stuff. Does he slide in right away? Uh, do we see a veteran kind of step up like a Pernell McPhee? You know, I even talked about it, you know, with Ryan during the game, you know, for years, the player intros, right? Players are coming out of the tunnel, that thing, that kind of thing. And they all come out to the same song. But then the ending of the player introductions, it's always been Ray Lewis comes out to hot in here. And then when Ray Lewis was done, Terrell Suggs comes out to 50 cent. I'm like, who's that player that's going to come through the tunnel last and really going to get this crowd like fired up. And they brought out Lamar Jackson last, but you know he, he was kind of lame about the way he came out. There wasn't a, there wasn't <laughs> a change a in song. It there just was no theatrics whatsoever. No, oh. there wasn't. It just didn't have the same effect for me. That last like you know big song that comes on and the fire gets going for Terrell or you know Ter- or Ray mm-hmm. came out and do his dance. Like when you don't have that anymore, it's crazy how much you took that like for granted. At least in my opinion, but it honestly. It honestly takes a little bit of wind out of the the fan base, in my opinion, when you don't have somebody that gives that. Because when that electrified that stadium, both those situations, it electrified the the stadium every game that they did it. Now, there were some arguments that no matter what, whether it was the offense being announced or the defense being announced, that it should have always been that way, which I was a huge proponent of that. And I still am. You bring that guy out. You, you only have eight home games a year. Right. You bring that guy out last at every home game. I don't care whether you're trying to keep with tradition. You want that stadium electrified. And if that's who, who brings it in, if you bring him out at the beginning, I think you do it every game. I say you make that call because you need to energize this stadium. If Lamar's not going to come out with that energy like we would hope he would, I think you got to let it be. Nick Short on uh, Facebook chimed in. He says, maybe Yonda will <laughs> that, do the squirrel dance. He, he, he took it right out of my mouth. I would that's... pay to see that. It would be absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Now, I just, I, it was just something that, you know, you take for granted and it wasn't there and you're like, ah, like, I, I feel like I'm missing something. You know what I mean? But it, to my point and what I was trying to say with this whole thing was it was good to see Pernell McPhee kind of step up and take that role in the mm-hmm. huddle. Like you said, Scott, almost as he had never left. Uh, so for me, that's that's step one. Ne- next step is going to be working something into those player intros because there's got to be a little more, I don't know, pizzazz or something with it. More, more fireworks, yeah. please, something like that. I mean, <laughs> the streets uh, was a YouTube's uh, song with the streets with no names. I mean, that that gets you started. Once you know that song's coming on, right. you're like, oh crap, here we go, time to get serious. And the stadium just start. That's when the stadium starts to get hyped. Right. But they, yeah, they got it, the build up. Yeah, uh-huh. But they but need the like. There's you know, no the finale. explosion. Right. They need there. that finale. And they're missing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I mean, hopefully Lamar's working on something that uh, maybe week one we'll get to see, or not week one, but week two when they come to town, maybe we'll get to see that. But we'll see. So the big story in this game was a guy who played very well and a guy that had a lot of question marks because. He had some off-the-field issues that we're all aware of that uh, kept him kept him off of another mm-hmm. team's roster last year, uh, and that's Corey Vedvik. And this is a guy that we obviously knew was not going to be with the Ravens unless the Ravens decided to do something 
completely out of the realm and maybe trade or get rid of a Sam Cook, and they definitely weren't going to trade a Justin Tucker. Oh, hell no. There was no way he was going to make this roster, at least in my opinion. But he, we wanted to see this guy go out there and put up so that way he could build his trade value. And he was able to do that as he was able to go four for four on field goals in this game, making a 55-yarder and a 45-yarder, both with ease. Right down the pipe, too, Right man. down the pipe. And he was like that all through warm-ups as well, making them from 60, 65 yards with no problem. Uh, and then the big news after the game, Scott, what's your take on it? The Ravens end up getting a fifth-round pick for Corey Vedvik. Uh, honestly, for for what has happened, he's coming back from last year off the – I don't even know what you call it. Do you call it an accident? Do you call it an incident? I don't know. Uh, we still, I still don't know all the details of exactly what happened with that. But he gets injured pretty severely, comes back from it, and uh, seems to be right in the head, getting, nailing everything you need him to be. I think he was a steal for, for what he is, a guy that can not only do you, you know your place kicking but also can punt for you if need be uh, and do it fairly well. You know, there were questions at one point last year before everything went down of uh, could he be the replacement long-term for Cook. And, you know, whoever whoever was willing to give up the most, and in this case the Vikings, I mean, a fifth-round pick – for Kari Vidvik, an unproven guy, I think it's a steal. I mean, exactly. It, well, it's a win for the Vikings by getting a, a kicker that can really solidify something that they've had a hole for years now. So it's a win for them. But for us, to be able to get a fifth-round pick from a guy that wasn't going to make this roster anyway is a huge get. And for anybody out there that thinks that the Ravens would have gotten anything any more for him, the Ravens traded him, and the reason that they traded him after preseason week one was because his trade value was as high as it possibly could be. He couldn't go out there and improve his trade value anymore. And as a matter of fact, all he would have done was hurt his trade value. If he goes out there and he goes 1 for 3 or he goes 0 for 3 in the next game, then other teams are scratching their head like, well, maybe this was just a flash in the pan. It, it, Honestly, the, the second that he go that he misses that he misses one, that that immediately drops. It's not just he goes one for three or over three. The second he goes four for five, that one drops his trade value because now you you've you've taken him from a, a quote lock kicker to a guy that has, you know, a potential miss, and especially, God forbid it's a short kick, it's gonna kill it even more. James says the guy can kick and putt. The Ravens brought in two players this week. The players that the Ravens brought in this week are just camp bodies. They're guys that are going to take kicks away from Cook and, and Tucker to keep them fresh and, un, I guess, out of some, risk of getting type hurt. Of competition to Tucker. It's really not even competition. It's more so just to take reps away from them so they don't put them at risk of getting hurt. We know what we're going to get at Tucker. We, we know what we're going to get at Cook. And, and I get some people's point on potentially keeping Vedvik overcooked just because of the age. And there's no doubt that this kid Vedvik can, has, a, has a hell of a leg. He can boot the crap out of the ball. But there's a lot of small things that Sam Cook does that I think we take for granted as fans. Field position is huge. And this guy's ability to control the ball with different types of kicks, sideline kicks. As a matter of fact, in that win in, what was it, uh, week 17 against Cleveland, if he doesn't kick the ball as far down the field and pin them back close to the end line, the the uh, the sideline there, 
the the Browns are in much better field position. Need to get maybe two or three first downs before they're in field goal position to possibly win that game. Well, and you saw how good Cook is because he did it against Jacksonville. Right, one of the punts he kicked. Uh, I, I forget who the player was that caught it like the two yard line that pinned Jacksonville back. It was a gorgeous punt. I mean, it just that, that's just how good uh, Cook or, or Koch, however you want to say his name, depending on the back of the jersey. I like Cook. We're gonna go with that. <laughs> But I mean, the the guy, the guy to me, he, I don't know if he's ever going to make it to the Hall of Fame, but he's definitely deserving of it, and that might be the homer of me. But I, I, yeah, I understand. Cook could get hurt. He's getting up there in age, but he's still doing it at uh, a he, very high level. Oh my god! And, and you saw it against Jacksonville, right? With, with how good he's he is at punting, easily top five punter in the league. And I get it that you know. With a Vedvik, you have one player that can kind of fill two roles, which gives you another position open, you know, another spot on the roster open to add some depth elsewhere, which I like. The problem with it is if Vedvik goes down and that's the position that you're in, well, now you've lost your punter and your kicker all in one fail swoop. Whereas a lot of times, if a punter goes down, the kicker will come out and do both duties. Or if the kicker goes down, the punter will come out and do both duties unless they've got somebody in the wings that they can bring in, you know. Uh, but in a situation like Vedvik, if you save one position to do two roles like that, he goes down, you're SOL. Yeah, agreed. And and just to, to kind of rehash my point, too, this whole trade, I can't stress how much of a steal to me this is to get a fifth-round pick out of this guy because, let's be honest, he's still unproven agreed. in the yeah. NFL against top-tier teams. He could go against a top-tier special teams and wind up getting killed. You know, and, and that's one of those things he, when you when you get a guy like this, can he does he fold under pressure when it's a big time kick to win a game? You don't know how he's gonna respond. So to get a fifth round pick for a guy like that, I think the Ravens really ran off with this. I mean, for the Vikings sake, I hope it works out for them. I think he's I think he is a good kicker and a good punter, but overall, I think the Ravens right now got the better end of the deal. All right, so before we wrap up the Ravens segment for this week, we got the Packers coming into town in two days. Scott, I'll let you kick it off on this one. What are we kind of looking for? What are you expecting to see uh, in this Packers game? So the Packers are going to be starting their first-team starters in the first quarter. Uh, So I think, and Fred, to your point, when we kind of talked before, this is going to be the first true test that we're going to see Lamar put through against a starting NFL defense in the second round, so to speak, meaning that they've seen, there's plenty of tape on him. What are they going to do? How does he perform? And then we also get to see the same thing with Trace, because I'm sure they're not going to keep Lamar out there very long. I predict two drives at the max for Lamar, and then you're going to see Trace come out. And I think once you see that, that's where it's going to be a test, because I think you're still going to see some of their starters in the third, uh, you know, kind of the third drive of the game. I think you'll see their starters, and I think that's where the test of Trace McSorley really, really comes out. Yeah, I mean, Harbaugh guards what he's going to do like it's some kind of FBI Mm -hmm. secret or something. So we don't really know what's going to happen. I was actually kind of surprised to see Lamar in the first team offense as much as they did in the first week. So I think we may see almost a spitting image of that in preseason game two. I think we might see Lamar in the first string offense kind of rotate some of the receivers in and out, some of the running backs in and out. But I think we'll see a lot of the starters on offensive line. I think we'll see Lamar out there for the majority of the first quarter. Uh, but then from there on out, I think it'll be Trace McSorley's go at it. And and that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking to see how the running game and the offensive line kind of mesh together. I want to see how good 
this running game can be against a top tier uh, defensive line, which Green, I mean, Green Bay has a decent defense. So this is going to be, to me, a very good measuring stick or a very good test for the Ravens' the, uh, run game and the offensive line. So I'm looking forward to that. So Nick brings up a good question, and he was asking if we're going to see Hollywood Brown. And for me, I don't think we will. I mean, this this is a guy who missed a couple of practices. Uh, you know, they, again, they were very vague on why he missed it, but he was dealing with, obviously, some sort of discomfort, needed to take a couple days off. He was back out there today. Still, when when you watch him run his routes – in a straight line, he looks like he's giving it his all, but he's still kind of gingerly going through his cuts and through some of the, you know, some of the other tougher routes to run. Uh, so I don't, I don't think we'll see him this week. I will, I think we'll see him more week three or week four if they're going to ramp him up that fast to get him ready for week one. I want the Ravens to take their time with this guy. Agreed. They, you're betting on your future with Hollywood Brown. Take your time. Let the kid heal. He's he's young. I understand the hype around this kid. I mean, he, I mean, everybody you talk to in the bottom of the range says this kid has electric speed. I mean, this kid is like Usain Bolt of the NFL. Maybe not that type of speed, but you get where I'm going with it. This kid can flat out run and he can catch. Right. So that I understand. As a Ravens fan, I'm looking forward to seeing him out there, but I want him healthy. I want him at least as close as possible to 100% before he starts taking hits. I, I, I don't want to see a repeat performance with another wide receiver who I won't mention <laughs> who can't, couldn't drop the ball and couldn't stay healthy either. Right. Just not have a repeat performance of that. I think the two key things for me in this game, one, I want to see what these starting DBs look like. The DBs weren't out there for week one. You didn't see any Earl Thomas. You didn't see any Marlon Humphrey. You didn't see Jimmy Smith. I want to see those guys out there as a unit and how good this unit can really be. Maybe that'll shut up all the people out there about uh-huh. Jimmy Smith trades. Um, and then also, obviously, the issues that we had on, on the offensive line, I want to see some progress there. This is this is a spot that obviously concerns me because it's the third time I've brought this up now. But, but a guy like Patrick McCarry, who was not on my radar at all, didn't know anything about this guy, but apparently he's been taking a lot of reps with the ones, played pretty damn good in the first preseason game, he's gotten on Harbaugh's good side, so we're going to see some of him. I do want to see more of Ben Powers, the rookie, because ultimately Great. I think if he doesn't win the starting left guard job out of camp, I think we could see Ben Powers kind of in the similar role as as uh, OBJ was last year where he came in about halfway through the season and then took over that starting role. Scott? Yeah, I mean – I would agree with that. I, I think it makes sense for him for him to really come in uh, and show what he can do, and then just take it over. Uh, I'd like to see him start if he can continue through the the preseason and do well as he did in that first game. Uh, I really anticipate them kind of maybe making a move and pushing him into that starter role and. and with OBJ, to your point, you know him coming in last year. We were calling him for him the whole time. Um, we saw some issues with him when we went to uh, the, the the preseason training camp, um, and I think as we see him progress, as he learns, this is a little bit different offense as well for him. But he's gonna he's gonna protect him without a without a doubt. Um, so I think Powers and him both being on that line with the the knowledge base of Yanda. It's going to kind of be unstoppable. And then you got you know, the other guy that, that you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, Bradley Bozeman. He's another guy that when you look at things, there were questions going into the season of who was going to be the center, whether it was going to be Skur or Bozeman. 
I still think from what I saw at training camp, I think Skirt is the way to go. We, I saw yeah, too many yeah. issues out of Bozeman. We watched him launch two balls over the order over uh, one over actually one over McSorley and one over Lamar. Uh, so I just don't see Bozeman being a starter. I think he's a serviceable uh, backup, but I don't see him being a starter. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I like Bozeman more at guard than I do center. I think Matt Skur has got that position wrapped up. All right, fellas, it's time for this week's Liquor Stop Brew of the Week. And unfortunately, Scott, uh, you are not here to enjoy this week. You're missing I don't, out, man. I, yeah, I don't have any. I, 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 have, I was able to gra- grab some. It's really weird. They, the, the liquor stores around here, they, they don't have a ton. I was able to grab. Uh, I had brought with me some Jack Honey. Oh, sorry, hey, wild turkey, stuff. wild turkey honey. Uh, I picked up some. They had like these little moonshine apple pie, like mini shot things. And then uh, the only other thing that they had that I felt safe with because everything else was craft beers and I wasn't about to, to get into ones in this area that I can't get because I don't want to find something that I really like and not be able to ever drink it again. Uh, so I just went with uh, some little margarita drink just to – I needed it. I had a rough day. I needed something <laughs> a little bit more. These are like 8.5% alcohol, so I'll take All it. Right. He's going to be feeling good in about a half hour. Yeah, <laughs> half, half of my day or, was or, spent in a dentist office today, so this brew ooh. of the week feels real good right about now. Oh. <laughs> and this week's brew comes to us from Ithaca Beer Company. It's their Enigmo. It's a German-style ale, 4.5 alcohol by volume. It's got a hint of kind of like a, almost like a white wine aroma mm-hmm. is kind of the smell to it. Uh, but it definitely has like some berry and tropical fruit kind of undertones to it. Real light, yet hoppy. Yes. So it's got a little bit of both. This, this, for me, would be a really good lunch beer. Like hey, something you that go. you would sit down on your lunch hour and eat with like a cold cut. Yeah, I, I do like this beer. Actually, I might have to pick it up more often. Um, so thank you, Liquor Stop. Uh, my, my favorite place so to go. So you guys are going to save me one, right? No. Uh, no. No. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Make sure you stop, Scott, at Liquor Stop. Tell them Birdland be Ascension and get your 10% off. All right, fellas. It's time for some bros, bows, and o's. And man, I need some bipolar medicine to deal with this. Do we have to do this? I think that bipolar medicine is sitting right next to you that you just took a sip of. (laughs) Hold on, let me me take another dose. I need a whole lot of that, man, because there's been some (laughs) some interesting things that have happened over the last couple games and the last couple series. Uh, Some history that's been made on a couple occasions that. we're not in the Orioles' I was, favor. I was going to say, not in a good way. <laughs> and I think, Scott, I think you had a front row seat to the first one. I think you were there for it. Maybe not. I don't know. But, I was. Uh, yeah. I was. <laughs> Carlos Correa hits a bomb. I think it hit Scott's car in the parking lot <laughs> as it went out into the De- statues. It was dead center, all right? That is one hell of a home run. He cranked out. And... I- just, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, what he hit? He hit it with like 474 feet. 474 feet becomes the longest home run in Oriole Park history. And I remember, and now I don't know if they're counting this one or not, and Scott, maybe you would know on this, but do you remember the Juan Gonzalez home run that he hit in uh, the the home run derby mm-hmm. that went into the third deck in left field during during the home run derby. Oh, yeah. I don't know if they're factoring that hit or not in because I don't remember what the distance was to that. That was a damn mammoth shot, but this <laughs> one here, pretty sure still hadn't landed. 
So, no, it, that is not counted. Uh, officially in-game, the longest prior to this was Daryl Strawberry back in, I believe it was 95 or 96. Oh, uh, he hit one that was 465. That was the longest. Uh, and honestly, as soon as that ball left the bat of Correa, I was there. I sit one section over from the bullpen, so I had pretty much a front row seat to this thing going out and over. And when it was off the bat, everybody in my section just kind of looked at each other and went, holy shit, because <laughs> you watched that ball, and it was like it was never going to land. It, it hit about ten, eight or ten feet behind the rail out there in Legends Park just past the second bullpen, um, but the second that it went off – all of us right there. I, I put it on Twitter. Didn't get any response. I even uh, I even tweeted uh, Steve Molesky because he he commented on. It. I was like, was that the longest home run in Orioles Park history? Because it felt like it. This was a bomb. I've seen it done multiple times during batting practice, but that's it. We watched during that game. I don't or not, during that game. We actually went to batting practice prior to that game, and there was somebody. I don't know who was at the, at bat because we were out in our seats in the left field. Somebody hit the center field wall in the air wow. during batting practice. So wow. to then see a bomb like that in this game, this just goes to show you the amount of power that this team has. And it was a team that originally wasn't really built around power. This team was built around speed and small ball, and they developed into power. Yeah. And, and on that night, the Orioles end up losing in incredible fashion as they lose 23-2. to two. I had flashbacks to the Texas game oh. where I want to say we lost, like, what was it, like 30-3 to three or 35-3 uh, yeah, yeah. to three or whatever it was. It was the worst loss in Orioles history. This is right up there with them. It was terrible. So I needed something – to pick me up for the night because it was a it was a rough night, and if you see the bigger picture with where this organization is going, then you'll appreciate the the the, the lighter side of things that happened that night. As Adley Rutschman ended up getting a walk off hit in Aberdeen for the Ironbirds, yeah, so for me that just tells me all right, the future's here. We just gotta wait a little while. Be patient. That's not where I thought you were going with that. I totally <laughs> thought you were going with where uh, some of the Orioles pitching staff has been going with the, the let Stevie pitch, pull in the righty they can't throw over 53, and <laughs> let's see what he can do. But even he got rocked in that game. Oh, man, like, it can, was brutal. Can we throw Chris Davis out in the bullpen now? I mean, what? I'm sorry to jump ahead, but I mean, it, you need pitchers now. I mean, the, the bullpen has been so depleted. I mean, it's just Speaking brutal. of Chris Davis, I know Nick had brought it up, and he was asking what happened with the Chris Davis fight. The three of us have yet to really talk about this, and I'll kind of uh, just give you a quick take on my opinion. I think that Chris Davis was coming in off of, you know, the end of, a, of an inning defensively. I think... Hyde yelled down to him that he was out for the game and that they were going to be putting in a pinch hitter for him because he was coming up to bat for that inning. Uh, I think Chris Davis had just had enough frustration-wise and said something to Hyde. Hyde barked back, and then the next thing you know, Chris is going after him in the dugout. And, uh, you know, you don't usually see Chris show emotion like that. Like that's, I think that's been one of the fans' biggest gripes about Chris Davis is the lack of emotion. He's kind of almost got that Flacco effect in the sense that even when he's doing bad, he doesn't seem too high and he doesn't seem too low, regardless of what's kind of going on about him. So it's rare to see that emotion. I mean, you you see that emotion every once in a while when he's up there batting. I mean, but even at times you kind of look at him and you're like, the lights are on and and nobody's home when he's up there batting. 
but yeah, you're right. It, it overall, I know, I know everybody's trying to point the blame, but overall, they were both guilty. They should have taken it down out of the out of the camera's view, had, had it out, and then okay, part ways. But the other weird thing was Chris Davis just made a hell of a play before he got pulled. I mean, the right. the, the last out of the inning, he. I can't remember the pitcher's name, but the pitcher came over. Chris flipped the flipped the ball with his glove, and it was a third out. It was a hell of a play, right? And it was just strange. But I, nobody questions his defensive I, ability. It's is obviously I, his, I know his, it's bat. his, his batting is hard, but it was right. just, it's just odd timing. Here he is. He made one hell of a play. Usually, when people make a great play, they usually go up and they they hit I don't know a home run or they make a great at bat. So I was kind of surprised to see that that's what if that's even what the issue was was them uh, pulling Chris Davis out. But yeah. it, it, overall, it was it, it was just bad. It looked bad altogether. Scott, what was your take you, on it? You know, it's funny that you guys bring the, you guys bring up the the fact that, that he he just came off the field for making a good defensive play. And nobody's ever questioned his defense. He quote, he was quoted as saying that it, that he he made a bad pick during that inning, and that's kind of what it, he was kind of alluding to was surrounding that conversation. As soon as I heard that, I called BS. It has nothing to do with that, in my opinion. It has everything to do with the fact that Davis had a bad strikeout at his last at bat, and Hyde just said, you know what? We're so far behind. I don't, I, I'm not going to put Davis out there and continue this to be a problem. I need a guy that I can put, out, put in the field and potentially get at least something out of because we're not getting anything out of Davis. I think that's what was saying. Davis doesn't come off that emotion if he feels that he made a bad pick and then Hyde's calling, out, calling him out on it. That doesn't happen. And you know what? I love the fact. I completely disagree with you, Brian, that he that it was bad on both their parts for that to be you know, seen on TV. I think it should have been seen on TV because that shows you that there's emotion on both sides of it, not only with Davis, but it also shows the emotion on the side of Hyde, that Hyde basically said, screw it, I'm getting out of here. It's not like he's called him, called him down and said, you know, whatever, let's go with it. If it was a serious conversation, it was – you know, hey, you're out because you can't hit. If that's the conversation you're having in a normal situation, yeah, you are taking that down in the dugout. But at this point, it is so far beyond that. It's. I think it needed to happen. I love the fact that I see that. And then Davis comes out and has a hustle, a hustle <laughs> double the next night where he somehow made it in. I don't know how, but he made it in and he gets in and he's safe. But that's the kind of emotion. That's what I want to see, and that's the result I want to see. I want to see him come out, make a solid hit to the opposite field, and then run it and leg it out into a double, which he never should have even rounded the base. But he did, and somehow he made it in. I'll take it. That's the emotion that I want to see. That's what I'm hoping Brandon Hyde brings us, this excitement, this level. And I think what he, in my opinion, on a back-end reason on why he probably did it, he's calling out Davis to try and bring some emotion in the hope that when Davis gets a chance, Davis is going to give him the old F you, I can do it, and that will drive him up. And then Davis will realize, hey, he's just trying to bring the best out of me. Well, we talked about being bipolar and obviously Davis on his medicines that he's on and that kind of thing. So, Kind of going along with the same theme. So we get blown out. 23-2 to two to the Astros, right? Uh-huh. Then the very next day, the Orioles come in and win in walk-off style <laughs> on a two-run home run in the ninth with two outs by Rio Ruiz. Now, what was, you know, the walk-off win in itself is great, and that's always exciting and all that. And all that. But what was really telling about this game was that it was against Ace Justin Verlander, so their their number one starter was on the hill, 
And this was the biggest money line upset since 2007. Plus 406, that's 12 years. That's unbelievable. If you had money on this game that the Orioles were going to lose, boy, you uh, you were crying the next day. And it's pretty weird. The yeah. Orioles seem to have Justin Ver. I mean, regardless of who's up there hitting or pitching, the Orioles kind of seem to have Justin Verlander's number sometimes. I mean, right. even dating back to, what, the 2014 season when they went up against Verlander, uh, Pryor, or, uh, or, and I forget who the other um, – Oh, God, he's pitching for the Nationals now. I can't remember his name. Scherzer. Scherzer, that's right. it. And when we beat those three in the uh, in the playoffs, but I, I don't know what the statistics are with the Orioles playing against Verlander overall, but it was just like, oh, my God. I mean, he was up to 50 pitches by what, like the fourth inning. You could right. see that the Orioles hitters were making him pitch, and they were they were doing a good job of taking pitches, too, overall in that game. They were, and, and in this game, I had basically turned the TV off, and I'm so pissed uh-huh. off because, of course, I missed it, had to watch the, the walk-off in a replay, and I got the alert on my phone. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. We ended up winning this game, and Rio Ruiz not only hits a home run to win it, but he hits it out onto Utah Street it's, I, to yeah. walk it off. It's one, of, and I think it was like the second longest walk-off home run hit out to Utah Street. Pretty I, it, impressive. It, it, yeah, that's impressive. I mean, the kid crushed that ball. So it now, unfortunately, my wife was like, oh, my God, the Orioles just did a walk-off. I'm running upstairs like, holy crap, this is why I can't walk away from the TV. <laughs> but if I didn't walk away from the TV, the Orioles were going to lose. So, you know, and I, I'm kind of happy I walked away and got to watch the results afterwards. But, man, that was exciting. And to see how the players responded to that, too. I mean, they doused this kid yeah. with Gatorade. I mean, it was awesome. And it was the first walk-off home run of the season. Here we are almost mid-August, and this is the first – I think it's the first home walk-off of the year. Yeah. It was unbelievable to hear that. Statistic. You want to know what I loved about that, too, was the fact – and I, I hate to bring it back to Davis, but Davis was involved in that. Right. Yes, he was. Davis was one of the guys out there bringing it out and dumping it on him. So I love that. I love to see that. Um, but I hate to lose your gentleman's high because uh, after all that, we then this? lose the doubleheader to the Yankees uh, who've just destroyed our pitching this season. Yeah. Again, there's that uh, There's that bipolar team as we lose well, it's, a doubleheader. Right. And it's and – it's, it's again, they kill us with that long ball. 59 home runs in 17 games. Are you kidding me this year? Yeah. It's killing me. And, and you know who it is? Glaber Torres and Gary Thorne. Did either of you guys hear Gary Thorne's call of Glaber Torres' home run? Yeah. Where he just was like, I just, he basically was just like, I don't know. Like, this is just. Labor Torres just killed. Why? I mean, he why is, are oh, you I, even pitching to this guy? I mean, he's he had a three home run game. That's his thirteenth home run against us on the year. As you mentioned, fifty nine home runs as a team in seventeen games. Just, uh, Brian, you had mentioned that ends up being like ten point two at bats per home run with this team. It's uh, so so if you unreal. like if you like home run derby, which we all do, you got to pay attention <laughs> to this year's because you're going to get your money's worth. I mean, it has just been insane with how bad. This Orioles pitching staff has been giving up home runs to the Yankees. Now, got to give credit to the Yankees. The Yankees are a very good team this year. Yeah. Actually, they're kind of one of my surprise teams this year, especially with all the injuries they had. But, Jesus, I did not think the Yankees had this type of home run power in this right. team. And, and they're, they're doing it without team. their big guys, uh-huh. Stanton and, and Judge and those kind of guys for the majority well, of the and- year. Didi just came back, too. Right. Yeah, you're right. Right. So this team is going to be scary. I mean, obviously, their weaker point is going to be their pitching staff, but mm-hmm. they've got so much offense there to overcome it. We'll see what's happening. But I tell you what, they've definitely got the Orioles card this year. Is The Orioles have now lost, going into tonight, 
14 games in a row against the Yankees. The longest streak the Orioles have ever had losing to a team was 17 games. So they're real close to setting a record there at 14 right now. Can can that be one of the records we actually don't set this year out of all the ugly records we have? I mean, this is... I understand this is rebuilding, and it comes with the territory, but Jesus, they're digging up stats. They're like, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 years old that this team is breaking. This <laughs> it's is just brutal as an Orioles fan right now. So I've got a question for you guys, because the Yankees are, you know, they're not just killing us. They're killing the AL East. I mean, they're, they're, you got Tampa Bay, who's in second, who's nine games behind them. Then in third, 17 and a half games behind in Boston. Is the AL East really still the toughest division in the MLB? Because in my opinion, with those numbers, what we're seeing, I don't know that it is. Give me, give me another division that's tougher. Yeah, I can't. Off the top of your head, because I'll tell you right now. In the MLB? The, well, just, just in the AL. I mean, if I'm in looking the AL, at, in the it, AL right now, I got to say the Central Division. The way that Cleveland's been playing the past few years, the way that you've had Kansas City's been up and down over the past six. It's Cleveland got Minis- and Minnesota, and it stops there. Yeah, but even even Cleveland looked like they were going to be dumping their team this year. I mean, it was all of a sudden they they got a spark and they're lighting it up. So I, I so you never know. Cleveland may fall apart. I mean, they did make some trades at the deadline to to help out. Tampa but- Bay. To be able to do what they've done with the payroll that they've had for the last couple of decades and consistently be in contention. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll have a couple of down years here and there, but they've always managed to put a good product on the field through development and through the draft and that kind of thing. To be able to do what they've done has been has been incredible. The Yankees, you they're always going to buy their way back to you the top. It. That's just what the Yankees do. And now what we're seeing is we've actually seen the Yankees develop some prospects because some of the big bats that we mentioned haven't been getting the playing time, we've seen some of the guys come through the farm system and done big things that they've you know developed over the years. Uh, and then Boston, yeah, they've had some kind of ups and downs and that kind of thing, but don't ever count Boston out. Boston was another team that will constantly spend money to be one of the best teams. So, yes, uh-huh. I think maybe right now, today, are they the toughest division in baseball? It could be more debated, but just consistently, year in and year out, absolutely the AL East is still the toughest division in baseball. Okay. That's just my take on the whole thing. But what does it say to you, though, that a team like the Astros – I'm going to ask you, Scott. A team like the Astros coming into town, this is a team that obviously you brought a guy like Michael Elias in from the Astros and a team that you're kind of going through the whole rebuild process in a very similar fashion that they did. Well, here they are a couple of years out of the rebuild, and they've been in contention, man. Absolutely destroy us. For me, I, look, there's a lot of people out there that are <laughs> they're going to they're gonna roast me for this. There are people that are that are saying, "Hey, this this team, they killed us. This is this is why we can't do this rebuild. We're already winning." Here's what I'm what I'm going to tell you, people. That's what we can be, yeah. because that's what they built. They built guys, and then while they are there, you heard me say it earlier. Let's not forget this team was built around small ball and speed. Uh, what has Michael Elias been doing? Small ball and speed. Then you start focusing on your power. You get guys with draft picks that have that have power. You get guys that you can develop their speed. You get guys that can, you can develop their pitching. 
That's what they do. Then to solidify it, you go and get some of these solid arms. They, what do they do this year? They go out and they get Miley. Crazy as it is, Miley's been pitching really well for them. Then you have the fact that they went out and they go get Zach Greinke. Yeah, so that, I was surprised. Yeah, that was shocking. Yeah, this it's team. Just there's show you what they can do. This team. There's no doubt that last year they went out and got Justin Verlander in the big deal. Was it last year? Or the year before? Uh, a couple years ago. When they yeah. won the when, when they won, won the, the World, World Series. Series. This year, in a kind of similar fashion, they go out and they get a Zach Greinke. So, in my opinion, and as uh, as James said a second ago. I re- or uh, Joe said a second ago, the Astros are probably going to win it again this year. Mm-hmm. They'll definitely, unless something catastrophic happens, they'll be the representative, in my opinion, out of the AL for sure. All right, guys, it's time for a social media shout-out, and uh, I don't know if you've been monitoring much, Brian, but I'm going to go right down the list. Joe Carluzzo, we see you, and Kate Upton, oh my, you're right you there, my that, friend. Man. Uh, James Caruzzi, as always. Nick Short, man, we've been seeing you chime in, trying to work in as many comments as we can. Uh, Nikki, good to see you as well. Kells, we see you out there chiming in. Uh, hey, look, Scott room. Foster's in the chat room, too. Hey, shout out to him. Scott, what's up, Scott? Hey, Troy, Troy Hayes. Troy in the chat room as well. That's right. Troy's in the chat room. Sherry Reedy, as always, appreciate you. Good to see you in the chat room again. Uh, Nikki's out there. Yeah, there I said Nikki. Is. Yeah, Mark. Kamal. Good to see you, Kamal. As always, he usually dives Sonny. out after the uh, the Ravens portion. <laughs> Sonny, yeah, you've been yeah. in the chat room a lot tonight, so we appreciate each and every one of you guys uh, tuning in and commenting. We try to work them in as much as we can. Do us a favor, hit share, send it out, let all your friends know, and just let us know, let everybody know about Birdland BS. All right, man, it's time for some Terps talk. And uh, it's it's getting to be about that time, just as much as it is for the Ravens, as the Ravens are kind of getting ramped up for the season. The Terps are getting ready to to start their football season off. Um, the ESPN just released their power index related to the Terps schedule, and the Terps come in with the seventeenth hardest schedule going into this season. That's a, some tough sledding for the Terps. It's yeah, I mean this this season when you look at that going in to the the schedule, it, it's when you look at the the way the schedule's built, when it's when you're going to have some of these tougher games a little bit later in the season. You know, you start it in the home opener against Howard, and then you also have the Penn State game early as well. You know, these are tough games that they're going to have to really show up for. Uh, and I, I really expect them to do well. We've talked about it. Uh, you know, there's some questions that we're going to kind of get into, but I got to bring it up. Did you guys see the video over the past few days uh, that they've been showing? I think the one video was of Ant McFarland and how he's been doing in this this you know kind of preseason so to speak yeah and then that's that's kind of one of the things that I want to see what happens in this first week against Howard you know how our, our opening game is against Howard uh, on 831 and obviously this is a game that we should win there shouldn't be much much of a challenge there so what you want to do is you want to kind of look for certain battles and certain things to kind of gauge how this team is going to carry them through the year. And obviously we knew we have a plethora of weapons at running back. And obviously the big name is, as you mentioned, is Ant McFarland. And man, some of the, the the runs that he's made in practice, he had one the other day where he jumped over a middle linebacker as he was kind of coming in for the tackle. This guy is playing on another level right now. And this is great, especially for me, who's not a big Maryland Terps football fan. I'm excited. 
Yeah. And it's been a while. I mean, Christ, you might have to go through the Ralph Region era for the last That's time. That's how but long I it's was, been. I was excited about a Maryland Terps football team, and it's looking good. I mean, they are coming back fast and angry right now, and it, it's awesome. And, and you're right, that, that, Har- that Howard game is going to be very interesting to see this new group of talent that they've gone out and recruited from other schools. I mean, they right. have been stealing talent left and right from, from big schools, and now we're going to see how this gets brought together and see this product <coughs> on the field, excuse me. But it does kind of suck that the the Terps got the got the shafted, in my opinion, with one of the hardest schedules. Yeah, That's, I mean, it's kind of the nature of the beast. They do uh-huh. play in the Big Ten. There's going to be a lot of talent in the Big Ten, especially in the top half of the league. Uh, but, you know, again, in, in this Howard game, I think one of the other things that everybody's kind of curious about is who's going to be the starter at quarterback. You know, That's what I was getting ready to ask you, Fred. Who do you, who do you see being the go-to guy? You know, you got Piggy coming in, but you also have another candidate out there. Yeah, so there's a couple of guys out there that we've been talking about. Um, one guy that kind of jumped off the, 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 the radar to us when we were at the spring game was Tyler DeSue. He looked really good, but a lot of people are saying that he's been kind of inconsistent in practice. He's had some good practices. He's had some bad practices. So I think he's kind of regressed a little bit and maybe taken a step back. Uh, But the two guys I think we're going to see battle it out for that starting role. It's going to be Josh Jackson, the transfer from Virginia Tech. And then we're also going to see uh, Terrell Pigram, who was the starter last year. Now, uh, there's been a lot of praise on how much Terrell P- Pigram's worked on his game. I haven't seen much of it because he wasn't a part of the spring practice, but he's a guy that you never want to count out. Um, you know, this is he was the Gatorade High School Player of the Year in the state of Alabama. So this guy's got a lot of talent. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not he can stay healthy and he can kind of put it all together. He's a smaller frame quarterback. He's got the bottom half of like an Emmett Smith. He's got huge legs on him, Jeez. but he's short. Um, so that's always a problem is trying to throw over some offensive lines. And, you know, he does have the ability to kind of move around in the pocket. Josh Jackson comes in. He's obviously got the experience from starting at Virginia Tech. He's more of that prototypical sized quarterback, the taller guy. But he does have some athleticism. He does have some speed. So right now, if I had to pick a starter for week one, I think it's going to be Josh Jackson. Okay. Yeah, I, I would be right there with you. I know some people have, have... – I've heard kind of chip, chips on or chirps on Twitter uh, as far as some people saying that just because of Piggy and what he pro- what he was proven to kind of do a little bit last year uh, under you know the circumstances that were that were surrounding the the team uh, I, I understand that but I think Jackson's just has it has a greater upside there uh, to pull Jackson in there but to kind of you know we we talked about the running back situation but let's talk about who the quarterbacks are going to be really throwing to and that wide receiving core you know we've got a few guys that really could could just step up this year uh, with now Jason Jones out for the year we talked about that last week. Um, who do you see stepping up for this wide receiving core? If you're going to put Jackson out there, who are you lining up as those wide receivers and expecting to step up? I think the guy's name that comes to mind for most Terps fans out there, the easy name would be a DJ Turner. This was a guy that we expected to see a lot from last year because he was kind of supposed to be the heir apparent to DJ Moore. 
and he was going to come in and be the next DJ Moore. Well, he didn't live up to that hype. He's still a good receiver, but he's not a DJ Moore. So I think a lot of fans are looking for him to step up in that role. But I think two guys, one of which Ryan and I again watched at the spring at spring game and really jumped off the field for us was Dante Demas. This is a big body guy, uh, almost kind of like a Miles Boykin uh, in that same uh, body shape. Tall guy, real strong, can use his body well to kind of shield off defenders, uh, has a little bit of that extra burst and speed. So I like what I saw out of Dante Demas. Another guy um, that I think will kind of be into the mix because of his relationship with Josh Jackson at Virginia Tech would be another transfer in Sean Savoy. These were two guys that obviously had had some chemistry at Virginia Tech, know each other well. I think we could see Savoy step up and potentially uh, have a pretty good year this year. See, I, I also like Turner as well. I mean, also to his his to the issues that the quarterbacks had last year with the Maryland Agreed. Terps. Agreed. So it's kind of hard to blossom or be a, a decent or above average wide receiver when you got a rotating door of quarterbacks. No, DJ there. Moore did it with some linebackers throwing him the ball. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> but but I think now that that Turner's got a a, a solid quarterback back there that can get him the ball I think he's going to blossom this year along with with Savoy I I think you're right I think it's going to be another one-two punch for this wide receiving court for the Maryland Terps that I'm excited to see and I think an underrated move that a lot of a lot of people really aren't talking about I was looking on social media to see if anybody was kind of hyping this up the Terps went out and hired former Florida Gator and Illinois coach Ron Zook as a senior a senior analyst now he if you remember, if you are a, ter- or a, uh, a Gator fan like Scott was, or Scott yeah, is. I am. I know exactly who Hollick over there. Yeah, so he ended up taking over for Steve Spurrier when he left Florida. Didn't have the greatest run there in Florida. Um, obviously, he was replacing a legend in Steve uh-huh. Spurrier. Um, but he's been coaching the Packers special teams for the last five years. So he's going to be coming in in an off-field role, uh, working with the team defense and special teams. So this guy has got a ton of experience at both levels, at the at the professional level in the NFL, obviously at some big colleges in Florida and Illinois. I think this is an under-the-radar under move and just another move to help bolster Loxley and his staff. Yeah, I agree with that completely. You know, Ron Zook, what he what he's done uh, in the past year, yes, he had some big shoes to fill in Florida uh, when he came in. But what he's able to bring to the special teams game, they're – and I, I think these comparisons are way too much. But some of the, the mentality and how he approaches the special teams game, some people have com- made slight comparisons to John Harbaugh. We know John Harbaugh is a special teams guy. We know he's strong in his special teams, and that's what he looks for. And that's what he, he's going to bring to the table, is he's going to be able to bring the X's and O's side of things on special teams when they need to have certain, uh, certain packages out there from the special teams perspective, who they need to have where. I, I think it's great to bring in an outside perspective to, to do it. I ex- honestly I ex- I expect him to be on the staff next year, potentially, somehow. Uh, but I think it's a great move to bring him in, bring his knowledge base, not only you know from a standpoint of also being in uh, the NCAA before, but also the NFL experience is, I, I think, it is a huge get there. To, and to your point, a really underrated move for this team. And it's an important move. Uh, to your point, you know, his, his, his presence and his, I guess, ability to work with special teams. That's one of my biggest areas of concern 
with this team is special teams. Not from the return game standpoint, because we got plenty of burners. We got plenty of depth at the running back and wide receiver position that I think will be fine at the, in the return game. My biggest question is going to be in the kicking game, both field goal kicking and punters. What I saw, again, in that spring game did not look good, and I'm hoping it was just a small sample size and it was a bad game. Uh, but, you know, we talk about this a lot. Ryan and I talk about this uh, all the time is the importance to your kicking game. It makes all the difference in the world. And a guy like like uh, Nick Saban out, out in Alabama not using a scholarship on a kicker like it just it, it amazes me that he doesn't go that extra mile to take one of those scholarships for a guy that is literally going to be sitting on your bench for four years and put that into a kicker role and that team I mean as unbeatable as they are would just be that much better and I think that's one of my biggest areas of concerns with this Terrapin team is how they're going to do on special teams so Zook hopefully he can come in and solidify that and really work with those guys to get them going to the next level now if you want to get a look at what this Terps team might look like in the future, potentially even later on in this year, I think more so next year. Incoming freshman quarterback Lance LeJohn, he's making a strong impression early on in camp, and a lot of people are calling his name because they want to see this kid, uh, and I'm hype on him too. I think that this kid is going to be the future of this university. Um, he took his college journey and documented it on the Netflix series QB1 Beyond the Lights. And that's going to debut this Friday. So if you want to get a look at what this potential offense could look like, check out that Netflix series. I'm excited for it. Well, I'll definitely be paying attention to it. (laughs) Hi, guys. It's time for this week's Good, Bad, and Ugly. And and I'm going to start this off on the good side. And you can read this a couple different ways. Take it for Uh what it is. But uh, my good this week is Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Is there something wrong with you? I love this so much because of my hate for the Cowboys. <laughs> Again, if you don't know who I or like how I grew up, I grew up prior to the Ravens being here, so I was a big 49ers fan. Amen. And obviously in the 80s and 90s, there was that big rivalry between the 49ers and the Cowboys. So I hated, I mean, I despised the Cowboys back in the day. And my hate is still there for the Cowboys just as much. So to see this battle where, you know, ownership in Jerry Jones doesn't want to pay his top players and Dak Prescott believes he's worth more than what he is. Oh, it's just music to my ears because Prescott apparently turned down a $30 million a year offer from the Cowboys that would have made him the fifth highest paid quarterback in the league. He is by no means a top five quarterback in this league, but he turned that money down and rumors are out there saying that he wants close, if not to $40 million a year. Please. That offensive line is what makes him look good. I mean, Jesus, you have an all pro running back who's just tears it up. You keep feeding the guy. So it's not like he's out there throwing the ball that much. And when he does throw it, yeah, I say, you know what, he's, he's a little shaky. I mean, and he's, he's very, to your point, he's very reliant on a strong running, running game. Mm-hmm. If that running back is not there, we saw How, he the wheels fall off in Dallas. And I think, obviously, that's got Jerry Jones' concern. I mean, look, it's not a money thing for Jerry Jones. 
Jerry Jones' pockets are as bad as deep as the floor. I mean, they, he can pay anybody anything. Really, the limitations are going to be the, the cap. It's going to mm-hmm. be the NFL cap. It's not going to be Jerry Jones. It's not going to be how much money he has. The problem is here is, is how much money do you allocate to a quarterback that you don't have a ton of faith in? And to me, that shows that the Cowboys don't have a lot of faith in him. But I just love the fact that there's this battle going on with their two star players in their running back and their quarterback uh, going back and forth with Jerry Joe's on this. Scott, you got an opinion on this? You're just praying that they fail. That's all you're doing there. Uh, but no, I, I really do think uh, it, it makes it's, – it's completely nonsense that he wants $40 million a year. It just shouldn't happen. There's no way that that deal should happen. And if Jerry Jones even moves towards that direction, he's an idiot. And this team's going to fail for the next five years as if they weren't already set up to do so. And that's what I love about the Cowboys is that, and and you can take this to the bank. I've been saying this to, I used to work with a lot of Cowboys fans. I maintain as long as Jerry Jones is your GM, he can be your owner. He can be your owner. But as long as he's your GM, the Cowboys will never win another Super Bowl. Isn't it his son? Uh, Jason is his son. Jason, that's the GM. But I, I thought or is I he think, the GM? Yeah, I, I yeah, think he's the, still the GM. Fred, 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 it's his son, Jason. It's the GM. Let's yeah, be he's, real. he's still making moves. He's the puppet. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott. I'm going to let you run with this uh, this week's bad. Speaking of idiots, yeah, this is. one this one takes being an idiot to a whole new level. Uh, we all have heard, and if you haven't heard, you're going to hear now, A.B. with the helmet issues with the Raiders. He, he wants to play with his old helmet that's not sanctioned by the team and by the NFL, and he even tried painting his old helmet to match it and tried to use it, and the equipment team saw it and said, no, it's got to go. Apparently, it's not even the first time he's done this. He's done this multiple times. It's just crazy. He needs to get over this or leave football. He even stated in an interview that he doesn't need football as much as they need him. I get think this is going to, gonna, dude. I, I really think this is going to end up being one of those cases where, that when Antonio Brown eventually passes, if they donate his brain for the CTE testing. I think he's going to have one of the worst cases of CTE ever. Like this, there's just something not right in that dude's brain. Like to me, like I just I don't get it. I like I understand the money side of it, like that he's set for life, and that's all fine, and that makes sense and everything. But at the end of the day, you just signed an extension for thirty million dollars or whatever it was, something ridiculous like that. Like to be just tossing that around with, oh, well, if I can't get the helmet that I want, I'm not going to play. I'm going to retire. Get I'm over take yourself. Bye bye. Right. It's just absolutely <laughs> well, absurd. And the the piece of this that I was finally happy to kind of see, in a sense, where the NFL actually stood up, stood up and did the right thing. The NFL released a statement saying the player can't practice or play in games with equipment that's not approved. If he doesn't play or practice, he is in breach of his contract and doesn't get paid. I loved that response by the NFL. If you're not going to follow our rules, get out and you're not going to get paid. It's finally time that they start stepping up in those situations and telling guys, if you're you're not going to follow the rules and guidelines that we set out, then you're not going to get paid. Here's my question, though. Uh, Why doesn't that breach of contract occur with all these uh, 
about off the field issues. Just saying, we're not going to go down let's that. Let's not go hole. there on that one. Right. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to get into this week's ugly, and I'm going to preface this by saying this is not sports related in any kind of way, but it is Baltimore related, and we are a Baltimore sports podcast. And this was something that I, 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 I just I heard a little bit about it on the morning show this morning on 105.7. And it really, I, really. I'm just gonna say I debated talking you out of of using this as the ugly, but I think we got to do it. Yeah, it, it just it got into my crawl, and it really, really bothered me. So if you haven't heard the story, 43 year old Baltimore police sergeant Isaac Harrington was shot multiple times outside of his home just a few days ago in his front yard while talking with a neighbor. Apparently, a guy in a mask ran up on him and his neighbor. They split ways, went one way and went the other, and this guy shot uh, the police sergeant multiple times, right, which is absolutely horrible. And again, mind you, this was just a few days ago. So what comes out yesterday, and it's going all over social media, is a video on YouTube posted by our police commissioner, Michael Harrison. Again, he made a YouTube video in the hospital next to this guy's bed shot with his mobile phone definitely mm-hmm. shot with a cell phone not shot with a news camera not shot with anything shot with a, a video uh, with a a phone a cell phone which if i'm not mistaken i'm not in the medical field ryan could probably attest to this ryan could probably answer this i didn't think pictures or videos were allowed to be taken in a hospital yet alone the intensive care unit where this guy is okay so he's in the intensive care unit and this guy shoots a video, and I'm going to play the audio from the video just so you guys can hear how this comes across. Baltimore Police Department, I'm Commissioner Mike Harrison, and I am with Sergeant Isaac Carrington, who wants to say something to you. Isaac, go ahead and say what you want to say. I love y'all. I'm 10 I'll be back. So Isaac is awake. We're here in the hospital room. He still has a long way to go, but our prayers have been answered, and now we all have to rally around getting him healed and making sure we find who did this to hold them accountable. Wave at him, Isaac. Wave at him, Isaac. What the hell are you doing? All right. I mean, like, he's basically barking commands at this guy who, if you watch the video... Oh, it's horrible. He is in terrible shape. He was just shot a couple of days ago. It would have been perfectly fine for the police commissioner to come out with a statement saying, hey, he's in good spirits. He's on the mend. He's doing better. Yada, yada, yada. He wanted me to pass a message on to you. And I would have been perfectly fine with that. But for me, this was basically a publicity stunt for the commissioner to just basically say, see, I care. I care about my fellow cops. I'm going to put a video out there. And he's basically barking commands. Say what you need to say. Wave at him. Like, I mean, it just, it was so inappropriate on so many levels for me. A statement would have been perfectly fine. And, and it almost made it sound like, too, because he, he paused before he said Isaac's name. Like, he didn't even know who the guy was. He was like, uh, say hi, uh, uh, Isaac. Uh, It's horrible. It's a bad... You know what? This city gets a bad rap as it is between the mayors and all the other political figures down there. Wrong time, wrong place to do this. Man, I I just don't understand what you're going to get out of this. I I can't see any benefit out of this. Yes, the the police officer, Isaac, he's alive. That is a 
it's a miracle that he even survived this whole ordeal. Agreed. But you don't do this. It's too soon. It's I mean, way Jesus. too soon. The guy could barely lift his hands. He could barely, I mean, you could he hear could him. He like, keep his eyes he open. Could, he was almost gasping for air as he's trying to get out what he's trying to say. It was just over the top for me. And, and like, I get it because a couple people called into the morning show and we're talking about, like, the violence in Baltimore and people needing to see reality. And I get that. But this was way too soon. It's too shocking. And all, there's so many other ways that you could have gone about this to get the same type of message across. And at the end of the day, there are people out there, there are sick people out there that get off on seeing police officers being shot. I mean, we hear it all the time because police are killing innocent people that they want to see violence done to the back to the police. There are people that actually enjoy seeing these things and hearing these things and to feed into that by giving them this video. It's just, Oh, it got under my skin. I don't know why. And you know, I'm probably going to get a lot of crap from it because a lot of people out there probably disagree with me, but Scott, I don't know what your take is on the situation. To me, it was way over the top. So I did see the video. I, I agree with you. Wrong, wrong time, wrong situation. I think, I think part of the intent was there to kind of to kind of go through and show, you know, this is why we need to catch these people. But I think to your to your point, I think instead of rather than showing Isaac, I think you go to Isaac's. You know, I don't know what family he's got there. Maybe he doesn't, he doesn't have much family. I don't know. No. We haven't heard. But for me, if they would have gone to the family, and the family comes out and he's there with the family and does the video with the family, and the family is like, we need to find these people. You know, I think that was part of the motivation behind it. Um, in trying to say, hey, we need to find these people because look what they did to this guy. But that's not, to your point, that's not the way that you do it. You do it another way. I, a I statement, do a video. A statement from a podium outside that's of the hospital would have been mind. perfectly fine. That is like the, Here, the MO for here's, that. Here's what I'm going to say to that. It hasn't worked in the past. It's not going to work this time. I Neither is this. That, yeah, I, I agree. This isn't going to work either, man. He was trying to do something different to see if we get a different result. It was all was about right? him. I think this. That's. It, it was it, completely exactly. about him. Himself, he's trying to make himself look better as a police commissioner. You know, to your point that he's caring about his people. I think the part again. Part of the intent is there, uh, but I think he just he execute his execution is completely off base. Uh, I think his intentions, his long term intentions of finding the people that did this, along with you know showing people this is what happens. We need to stand up for our community, stand up for our officers, things like that. I think the intent was there, but I think the the, the execution of what he was trying to do is where, to your point, he goes completely wrong. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong place. That's all I gotta say. Minutes warning. And Fred, this week it is you with the two minute warning, sir. That's right, my friend. What do I get? All right, so if I don't get through all five of these topics, which I have, I will do a shot. If I get through all five of these topics, you will do a shot and I will do a shot with you. Uh, I'm game for that. Scott, you got a shot back there, there too. So if I get through all five, you're doing a shot as well. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I have, I, technic- I technically have. Uh, six of these things. <laughs> so you got to do all six then, <laughs> if Fred makes it. <laughs> I got to wake up tomorrow. I don't think that can happen. <laughs> Drink a lot of water afterwards. <laughs> all right, Fred. Yes, sir. So your time starts now. 
Former five-star high school quarterback Tate Martell has lost his battle for a starting role yet again, and this time for his second university. The former backup to Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State decided to transfer to the University of Miami for what he thought would be a better shot for his career and chances of becoming an NFL prospect. Well, that didn't work out so well as he loses out on the starting gig, and to top it off, he loses the job to an incoming freshman in Jaron Williams. That's got to be a kick to the gut for that kid. <laughs> For you Birdland BS fantasy football players out there, earmuffs, New York Giants wide receiver Golden Tate loses his appeal with the NFL and will face a four-game suspension for violating the league's anti-drug policies. According to Tate, he had been prescribed fertility medicine and wasn't aware that an agent in the meds was on the NFL ban list. Look, you can't make exceptions for anybody. If that's the case, sucks for you. Looking for a job? Didn't go to college? Boy, do I have the perfect opportunity for you. The NCAA has reversed its controversial agent requirements. A bachelor's degree is no longer required to represent players testing the NBA waters as long as the agent is certified by the NBPA. Guys, I'm not going to be doing this podcast much longer. I've found my other job. <laughs> Who takes preseason football seriously? Well, Paxton Lynch did in his debut for the Seahawks against his former team, the Denver Broncos. Lynch played like a man with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. A rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown, and a QB rating of 136. Revenge much? Lynch was pumped to stick it to his former team. Joe Flacco seen on the sidelines. No emotion. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. The WNBA just took a step up in appeal for me this week as Brittany Griner and five others were ejected in what was almost a brawl between the Mercury and Wings. Brittany was seen chasing down rookie Christine Agway beginning before uh, getting... God uh, damn it. You almost had it, man. I almost had almost. it. I was like two sentences through. Ah, <laughs> man. That's all right, man. Well, we had a good show, and everything sounded great through these Denon headphones. We want to take a second to make sure we thank the good people over at Sound United, the parent company of Polk Audio, Definitive Technology, Denon, Barantz, and Classe for sending us these attractive Denon AHD 5200 headphones. Denon makes some of the most popular AV receivers, but man, do they know headphones too. These premium headphones sport ear cups made of real zebra wood and exotic tone wood used on high-end acoustic guitars. This lends the AHD5200s a naturally warm, musical sound. You'll find Denon's free-edge drivers under the hood, a shining example of Japanese headphone engineering. Large dynamic drivers are suspended within a baffle system that lowers resonance. The drivers deliver healthy mids, smooth highs, and tight, potent bass. Just let your ears sink into the plush blended leather padding and enjoy music like never before. All right, Scott, take us out of here, my friend. Yeah, we want to thank all of you guys for tuning in each and every week. And this week, make sure you go check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. While you're there, make sure you check out our About Us section, learn about each of us. Also, go ahead and make sure that you learn about the gear section and get yourself some gear. Uh, I wore some orange this week so I wouldn't catch some, some uh, flax for the purple and orange here in Cincy, uh, but I'm at least wearing orange and filling in. Uh, make sure you check us out on BigPlay.com and the Big Play Twitter page. Download that Big Play app, which just got its makeover. It's looking good. Follow us on all of our social media accounts, Twitter. You can check us out at BirdlandBS. Same on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat. You can also check out Fred at FredBLBS at Scott BLBS and at IT Blake BLBS. Go check them out. Like, follow, subscribe, and share 
all while you're there. Be a part of Birdland BS Nation. You want your opinion or topic heard on the show, use the hashtag, that's BLBS, in your comments, and it'll come up on the show. Also, check us out on all of our audio podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, whatever app you like to use. Thanks for tuning in. As always, next week we'll be back. I'll be back in studio, which we revamped. We'll send you guys out some pictures on social media. But for Fred, myself, and IT Brian, we'll see you guys next week at 845 Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday night. See you.